Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi folks, welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. Here we want to look at what we can do to be proactive in our health so we can march along that path of optimal wellness. The lab values we might get from our physicians and our lab tests, they don't indicate much because if you're if you're in that range, this is a range based on 95% of the population, the majority of which have suboptimal health and are not healthy. Over about 58% of adults have a chronic disease, and uh, another number has at least two. Kids, uh, no, I guess 58% of the kids have chronic diseases, and so our health is less and less viable. So to get uh, normal lab values does not mean we're on the path to optimal health. So here we focus on optimal health. With us today, we have Dr. Brownstein. He has written so many books. He's an expert on thyroid, and he recently wrote a book on viruses. He's a board-certified family physician and one of the foremost practitioners of holistic medicine. He's the medical director of the Center of Holistic Medicine in West Bloomfield, Michigan. He's lectured internationally to physicians and others about his success in using natural hormones and nutritional therapies in his practice. He's a graduate of the University of Michigan and Wayne State uh, University School of Medicine. He is a member of the American Academy of Family Physicians and the International College of Integrative Medicine, where he's a board member. He's proud to be a Michigan Wolverine and a lifelong University of Michigan football enthusiast. He's the father of two beautiful physicians, Haley and Jessica, and has been happily married to his wife, Allison, for over 30 years. That sounds pretty good, Dr. Brownstein. Welcome. You know, that did sound pretty good. Uh, thank you for having me, Susan. Well, you've got such a wealth of information. I mean, you've written so many books. Where do you feel you want to, what information you feel you want to give to the audience? Well, first off, you know, your introduction about um, um, uh, lab ranges and, and optimal levels um, and reference ranges and all that was so true. And I tell my patients all the time, just because you're in a reference range of a lab test doesn't mean you're in an optimal range. And what's, what's happened over the, I just want to comment on this, what, what's happened over the years is the reference ranges for common nutritional testing for vitamins and minerals in particular have all declined over the years because our levels have declined over the years. So, you know, what used to be a normal magnesium, uh, a, a, a normal magnesium level years ago, which was in the, you know, in the five to six ranges is now in the four ranges. And so... You, you were so true to say that it's, it's better to have optimal levels of these nutrients versus, you know, in the reference ranges. So I just wanted to comment on that. Yes, uh, that's very important, folks. So if your lab values are normal, you need to look a little further. That's what we do on the show. We want to look underneath the hood and see what we can do and look at the causes of what's making these lab values. I think they've changed the references for cholesterol, and they'll probably be changing them for everything possible because the average keeps going in the wrong direction. So just because we're average, it's nothing to brag about in the Western world. That is so true. They've changed the reference levels for 
since I've been doing this for 30 years, the re- reference levels for zinc, magnesium, um, um, uh, vitamin, some vitamin levels have been have been altered down. Everything's been altered down, um, and um, you, you're you're totally right to focus on that. Another thing that's quite alarming is the nutritional value of any of our vegetables and organic produce has gone down as well because with this mono agriculture, we're depleting the value of the soil so it doesn't have as many nutrients. We wear it out by continually monocropping, especially these big agricultural productions. So the nutrients we take in are worse. That is exactly why the reference ranges have fallen from from that, and the literature has supported that over the last forty to fifty years. You know, the level of magnesium, vitamin C, um, zinc, uh, other crucial nutrients in food has gone down, and um, that's because our soil has become more depleted, and from over farming and over pesticide use, and this mono agricultural problem, like you're, like you're describing. And you know, I think that's why it's so important to work with a um, holistic healthcare provider who can check your levels of things and alter, you know, and figure out what you need and what you don't need. And, um, you know, that's what I've been focusing on for the last 30 years. How did you get into this interest in holistic medicine? Well, you know, I didn't start off this way. I didn't grow up in a family that took vitamins or, um, you know, the consulted alternative providers. I grew up in a family that respected doctors. We just went to the doctor when we were sick. We took what they gave us. We didn't um, questioned anything, and um, I just I found science and medicine fascinating when I was a young boy, and decided that's uh, what I wanted to do for my life. And so I modeled my I, I thought I would be doing just family practice. I modeled myself after my family doctor, and I did see him a fair amount as a child, since I suffered with severe asthma since about age five years old, and. Um, but I didn't take anything alternative for it. I didn't do any, you know, dietary manipulation or anything like that. I just took drugs. Um, but I modeled myself after him, and that's uh, so all I wanted to be was a family doctor. And I, you know, geared my undergraduate training at the University of Michigan to get into med school and got into med school and, you know, geared that towards getting into a family practice residency. And then I wanted to be a family doctor, and I started practicing what I was taught was conventional medicine. And primarily what I was taught was, uh, diagnosing pathology and prescribing the one drug to treat that pathology. I mean, that's what we memorized over and over in four years of med school and three years of residency. And um, I started practicing it. I was out. Um, I was about six months into practicing it at a busy family practice office, you know, near where I'm at now, you know, in a suburb of Detroit. And my turning point came after a few nights of loss of sleep. For an unknown reason, um, I just stopped sleeping, and um, it was about three nights in a row. I didn't know why, and I'm getting up to go to work, the, you know, after the lack of sleep for a few nights, and I just blurt out to my wife, "I don't want to be a doctor anymore." And I met Allison when I was 18 years old um, at, at my first day at Michigan, and um, that's all I talked about was, you know, my passion for medicine and going to medical school and. You know, we're getting ready to go to work. I had never said anything to her before about any problems. Um, and, you know, my I'm a pretty stable person. My mood is pretty stable. I don't have ups or downs, and I'm a fairly positive person most of the time. You know, I don't uh, suffer from depression or anything like that. And um, But I 
blurt out to her, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. And she stops, looks at me, and, you know, we have $100,000 in student loans at that time. And um, she says, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know, but I'm not helping people. I'm prescribing too many drugs that aren't treating the underlying cause of their problems. And I'm having to prescribe other drugs to treat problems in the first drugs. And there's two things wrong here. And I remember saying it to her. One was patients aren't getting better. And number two, I don't know if I can do this for the next 30 years. And she said, well, why don't you do another residency? And I was six months out of my residency at that point. I didn't want to do that again. And I said, no, that's not going to work. They're all the same. Um, and she said, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, I don't know. That day, um, with some anxiety in tow, and I had a patient who his wife and my wife worked together, so we had done some things socially with him for for about he had been bothering me to meet his chiropractor. Now, at that time in my career, I never referred to chiropractors. I used to actively tell patients, don't go see them if they're dangerous, even though I never met one, never knew what they did, never knew the philosophy, you know, never knew anything about them. That's just how we were trained in, you know, word of mouth in med school and residency. Um, and he was talking again. This chiropractor really helped him, and he, he helped him more than just adjusting him. He was prescribing some nutrients for him, which he felt really helped his uh, autoimmune condition. So in that little bit of anxiety and, and sleeplessness and weakness, you know, I took the chiropractor's name. His name was Dr. Robert Radke. He was, he was in my area and took his phone number, and I called him in the afternoon. And he picked up, and um, we set a time to meet for dinner on Tuesday, you know, based on the patient's name. The patient, you know, talked to him about me. So the Tuesday rolls around the following week. I come home from work, and I tell Allison I'm going to cancel dinner with him. This is a waste of my time to meet a chiropractor. And she said, that would be rude. You need to go and be nice. And um, so I went. And we hit it off right away as a friendship. He was just a very nice man, and um, he was very smart. He was talking about biochemistry and physiology in a different way than how I had learned it and how I was, well, I wasn't even going to say how I was utilizing it. I wasn't even utilizing it. I was just prescribing, diagnosing pathology, prescribing a drug to treat that pathology. I wasn't really thinking about biochemistry um, at that point. But he was showing me how the biochemical pathways of our body can get disrupted from lack of nutrients, from poisons, from mercury and fillings, from, you know, fluoride, you know, whatever. And how he was utilizing this, this altered biochemistry to, you know, try and co help people correct it and give them the nutrients that they, their body's looking for and to get the biochemistry back in line and working. And so at that dinner meeting, which we sat there for a few hours, he brought a book to give me. It was Healing with Nutrition by Dr. Jonathan Wright, who was an allopathic physician. I remember, I mean, I remember the day very, still clearly, you know, 30 plus years later. Um, I got home from dinner. I was really excited. Um, told Allison, uh, you know, he's, he knows more biochemistry than I do and he's, he knows about all these nutrients. I don't know why I didn't learn this stuff in med school, and I got to I got to do some research. And I was excited, and I opened that book and I read that book till about two in the morning. And the chapter I focused on most was on cardiovascular diseases. And the reason I focused on that was my father was very ill with heart disease, 
He had his first heart attack at age 40, his second heart attack at 42. He, over the next 20 years, he had um, a few angioplasties, of uh, two bypass surgeries. He was on 12 medications to treat diabetes, hypertension, and heart disease, and high cholesterol levels. Um, he looked awful. He was gray and pasty. He was having continual angina for close to 20 years, where every day he was popping nitroglycerin pills to relieve chest pain, um, like, like they were candies. And um, at that point in my life and my career and, you know, where I was in the world, you know, I was waiting for the phone call that he died. We, were all, we all were. The entire family was just waiting. Um, he, he looked terrible. He couldn't walk very far. He couldn't get chest pain. He couldn't do anything. He could get chest pain. So I, I stayed up to two in the morning reading that book, went to bed, woke up really excited the next day, called my dad when I got to the office and said, Dad, I need you, before you go to work, come stop by the office. I want to get some blood tests on you. And based on what I talked about with Dr. Radke and what I read in the book, I drew two levels on him. I drew his thyroid levels and and at that point in my career, I was taught to check a TSH level and uh, thyroid stimulating hormone level um, in the blood work. And, you know, that's it for the thyroid. If that was normal, nothing else to check. If that was abnormal, then, um, you know, treat them with thyroid hormone. But what Dr. Radke and, and this book, you know, talked about, there's more than that to check. There's T3 levels. There's T4 levels. There's antibody levels. There's reverse T3 levels. So I checked it all. In him. And I also checked his testosterone level, which nobody had bothered to check since I realized that night that there was a huge relationship with testosterone and heart disease. Low testosterone levels leading to bad heart disease and, you know, uh, in helping people increase the testosterone levels, helping with heart disease. So I get the blood work back a few days later, and his thyroid levels were in the reference range, just like you were talking about at the beginning. But in the lower part of the reference range, they weren't optimal. And his testosterone levels were read as below detectable limits, less than whatever the lower part of the lab limit they could read. So it could have been zero. It could have been you know, close to zero. It was just less than a certain amount. But it was so low, the, the lab test couldn't even pick up a number for me. So um, I put my dad on two things that day. I put him on um, some topical testosterone, natural testosterone, and I put him on uh, natural thyroid hormone. And within seven days, he calls me up and he said, I haven't used any nitros today. And I said, oh, that's good. And he goes, yeah, I'm not short of breath either. And he goes, I feel better. And my dad, um, you know, he, he was a very stoic individual. He didn't really complain about how he was feeling. He just kind of went through things and you know, for him to admit he was feeling better, he was feeling better. And um, you know, I saw him a few days after that, and he, he he used to look pale and pasty, and now he looks pink and just looks healthier. Um, 30 days later from that, I check, I recheck his thyroid levels and his testosterone levels. His testosterone levels are now in, you know, what I would call an optimal range, um, you know, in the middle of his reference range, where, you know, where I was happy with it. And his thyroid levels have bumped up from the lower part of the reference range to the middle to the upper part of the reference range, much more optimal levels, just as you were describing at the beginning of the introduction. And yes. this time I rechecked his cholesterol levels, 
which were in the 300s, on medication. He's still on his medication. I didn't change anything at that point. His cholesterol levels were below 200 without changing any of his bad habits. My dad could eat like anybody out there, and um, he smoked and ate, and he never exercised, and he was overweight. Um, but his cholesterol levels are now falling below 200, and these inflammatory markers that he had elevated on previous blood tests were all coming down. And um, so his blood work was reflecting how he was feeling and how he was looking. And once I saw the changes in my dad in that 30-day mark when I got his labs back, um, I decided that's what I want to do in medicine. This, this is, that's what I was called to do. And I went to the partners in the practice, and I said to them, um, you know, I was negotiating a buy-in for a partnership at that point. I was about two months, two or, I don't know, maybe three or four months from, you know, signing papers to be a partner in the practice. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to leave. And they're, you know, why? And I, you know, I was friendly with them. I like them. I'm still friendly with them. And uh, I told them I want to practice holistic medicine. And they said, what's that? And I said, you know, I don't really know what it is, but I'm going to figure that out. And that's what I want to do, a more natural approach to medicine. And they said, well, why don't you just do it here? We could use someone like that. I said, no, I can't do it in an office like this. I need, I need, a, I need some kind of holistic office that I don't really know what it is yet. And I gave them my notice, asked them how long they need me for. And, um, you know, Allison was pregnant with our first child at that point. And, um, um, you know, that's the end of the story. And I just, I, I left about a month later and um, started learning, started going to conferences, started reading, started trying things, started really looking at biochemistry and how to optimize it for patients and what's, and how to look at it when it's, when it's, um, dysfunctional and how you can help it right itself. Because the, the, the body, what I've learned over three decades is the body is a pretty wonderful, wonderfully designed, it's not a machine, but wonderfully designed um, machine being thing. Um, you know, our maker really has good blueprints for us if we supply it with the right raw materials it needs to function optimally. And, the problems we're all seeing right now with, you know, and look, our country is not in a healthy state, and um, you know, it's it's characterized by you know, the obesity epidemic, you know, the COVID epidemic, the you know, the, just the terrible statistics we we health statistics we suffer compared to every other Western country out there, and it's because our bodies are getting double whammied. Number one, we have too many toxins in our environment, and number two, we don't have the right raw, raw materials. And, you know, we're suffering from that. And so that's maybe too long of a version of my story, but, uh, you know, that, that's the true story. I'm sticking to it, and um, that's where I'm at right now. And, uh, you know, it was a, I, you know, my first patient and my best patient um, totally turned my career around. And, um, you know, I, I think about it all the time. You know, it was fortuitous I went to that meeting. It was fortuitous that patient told me to go see him. You know, maybe maybe there's something more than that you know, that points us in certain directions when we need to be pointed. But I'm certainly glad I didn't stumble over myself and, you know, I made it here. Well, it's kind of a a support for maybe the higher power helps guide us where we're supposed to be. And what a wonderful story about your father. What a great example that people can look healthy and and we can look and most of the ranges that we test are normal. Maybe testosterone's off a little bit. But to look under the hood and see what's going on is very important. 
for example, thyroid is very complicated. I mean, just measuring a TSH uh, will not give you a whole picture because you need to know how the hormone T4 converts to T3, and there's many things that support that, like uh, selenium and, ver- you know, whatever, and there's many things that get in the way, such as a beta blocker medications and metals, etc. It's a very complicated orchestra, so we need to look at the, all of the parts of it and neurodiverse T3, and a lot of things that you really have to argue with your doctor to get these measurements taken. So before we get more into that, can you tell me, what do you see, what is health? Well, first off, you don't have to argue with your holistic doctor because they are aware of this and they'll work with you. So if you're arguing with your doctor, that's not how, that's not someone on your team. You should find someone who's supporting you and who's, you know, look, we can have difference of opinions, but I don't argue with my patients. I just tell them what I think, and this is, you know, you know, my patients bring me articles all the time. I read them. I, I, maybe I don't read every word that they give me, but I skim everything they give me, and I read a lot of what they give me. I learn from them all the time, and we work together. It should be a partnership with patients. You know, I'm not, you know, I always describe my relationship to my patients as uh, they're driving the car. I'm on the side of the street yelling, turn left, go right, go straight. And, um, you know, they're in charge of that steering wheel. And um, if they turn left and I say to turn right, I'll catch up to them and keep yelling, you know, you know, make a right-hand turn, make a right-hand turn, and, you know, whatever. But, you know, we're working together. You know, we're not working against each other at all. Um, I'm sorry, Susan, what was your, what was your question before I went well, off on that? Well, uh, uh, what is health? But before we get there, I mean, I tell my patients I'm their coach, I'm their cheerleader, it's my job to give you information, this is a partnership, but I'm mainly here to support you and be your coach and cheerleader. So I have the same philosophy. They are in the driver's seat, and we are here to help them. So I like that approach, obviously. So, yeah, my real question is, what is health? Well, you know, that's a good question, because in medical school, we don't learn much about that. In medical school, we learn how to recognize and diagnose pathology, and we become experts in it, and then we... We become experts in, you know, what's the drug tagged to that pathology diagnosis, treat it. And that's, that's really four years of medicine. And that's how I was taught. That's how my kids were taught. Um, I have medical students and residents come through. That's how they're taught. You know, that, you know it's, it's just the model we're in right now. So the model that's being taught in our country really has very little to do with health. And um, what I've had to do is sort of go back and sort of retrain my thought process. Now, that's a little harsh because I still use what I was taught in medical school. I still think making a proper diagnosis is really helpful because once you get a diagnosis, you can formulate a treatment plan. But, you know, look, just because I diagnose somebody with a disease process doesn't mean they need a drug. Some, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they just need their biochemistry fixed or, or altered or supported. Um, but you know, what is health? So health is, um, my feeling is that a, a very simple, cause I get asked this from patients, you know, they, they, you know, I ask, you know, first visit with patients, I always ask, you know, how healthy do you think you are? And they look at me and some of them don't know how to answer that question. And I sort of rephrase it and I say, look, do you have enough energy when you get up in the morning to when you go to bed at night and you can be tired at night? Well, you should be tired at night. You spend a day hopefully doing something. 
Do you have enough energy throughout the day, throughout the waking hours of your day, to accomplish what you should be accomplishing? And I say if the answer to that is yes, then you have you have health. You have some stage of health. I mean, it may, may not be perfect health, but you have good health. So, you know, the, the biggest complaints I hear from my patients is they're tired. You know, fatigue is number one. Uh, I hear it's maybe not from every single patient, but from nearly every single patient. And every single patient, nearly every single patient, and nearly every single, well, I do hear it on every single day. And um, so I think we were designed by our maker to, to eat the right foods that help us produce enough energy and help us have enough energy to accomplish what we should accomplish during the day without, you know, being in pain or depression or anxiety and, you know, and being relatively content with what we're doing. And, you know, that, that, for me, that all goes into, you know, what is health. Okay. And how does the patient individually get to health or how does a patient help their doctor with his skills get them to health? Well, again, that sort of goes into that partnership thing that you talked about and that I talked about. And I, I tell my patients the same thing you tell them. I'm their cheerleader as well. So how do we get there? We work together. We partner together. And, you know, um, how do I get there? I do, I, in that sense, I do what I was taught in medical school. At first, I take a history and I, you know, listen to their concerns. I ask them questions. Um, get an idea for how healthy or how unhealthy are you? You know, how's your energy? You know, one of the, one of the best questions I can ask anybody is, you know, overall, what's your, what, what do you, What's your energy level? What do you feel like you're functioning at during the day from zero to 100%? And let's say 0% you're dead, 100% it's perfect. So is healthy functioning at 50%? Is healthy functioning at 80%? Is healthy functioning at 90%? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's different for different people, but I, I think, look, I think you should feel, you know, your energy is near 100% on almost every day that you get up, go to work, or whatever you do until you go to bed at night. And granted, I don't have as much energy at night as I do when I get up in the morning, but I can accomplish a lot during the day. And, uh, you know, I don't feel lacking for energy for what I'm doing. And um, um, so that's kind of where I start with patients. And then, you know, the next step that I do with them is I do, you know, after a history, I do a physical exam, look for um, signs on the, you know, look for, you know, listening to their heart and their lungs and touching them and all that. Look for confirmatory signs, you know, pointing towards, you know, one direction or another. Then I order, you know, lab tests to confirm or deny what, you know, may be going on with them. And then when I meet them back, I try and put the whole picture together. And, you know, the lab test can be extensive and can be urine, blood, hair, um, you know, you know, many different ways to test people. And then I try and put the whole picture together with them. And, you know, my feeling is you don't have to address 100% of problems in people, but it's, it's, it's kind of like a pie, you know, that if we, certain layers, if you get enough of the pie addressed, the energy will pop up and people will feel good and people will be happy with how they're doing and they'll be able to accomplish what they want to accomplish during the day without feeling fatigued, without feeling stressed, without feeling run down or brain fogged. That makes a lot of sense that you can... Uh approach the pie from any particular angle or any particular piece seems similar to Dr. Dale Bredesen's approach to reversing cognitive decline. He looks at the it is. major. It is very similar it, to that. It is very similar to that. When I read that book, you know, 
it was interesting when I, I liked his book. And when I read his book, I was, I was, I felt validated. I felt like, well, heck, we're doing over 95% of what's in that book already. That's what I learned over 30 years of doing this. And, you know, you don't have to do everything. Um, you know, and sometimes there's, there's sometimes, you know, one little thing will be the trigger that people needed to feel good. And sometimes it's 20 little things, you know, and sometimes it's, 20 little things and two big things. You know, it's just different for different people. But um, the more you do, the more of that onion you can peel, the more of that pie you can address, the more chances people are going to have to reach their optimal energy levels. I like that because Dale Bredesen's approach was, uh, it's, you know, like there's 38 holes in the ceiling. Of course, there's more holes in his more recent versions. And you'd find the eight major contributors and you patch them up. And mm-hmm. he found actual uh, reversal of cognitive decline, even to the point that one doctor who became non-functional was able to go back to work. And if you stop his protocol, it reverses. But he also divided Alzheimer's into five subtypes. And I think this can apply to all of us. Uh, one was um, toxic. He had defined one part as toxin. And that's the hardest to treat, and that's very important. Another had to do with blood sugars and insulin resistance because some people called Alzheimer's diabetes 3, so that's one approach. Another approach he had that, that your ter- the organs are being torn apart quickly than you're replenishing and rebuilding, anabolic versus catabolic. And then he had two other versions that are variants of that. So I suspect by taking some of these approaches, it can be, uh, you can help with any disease. It is so true. And, you know, look, I don't care. Um, I don't care if the label is Alzheimer's. I don't care if the label is heart disease. I don't care if the label is uh, hypertension, headache, you know, et cetera. I don't really care what the label is. Sometimes it's giving, it's correcting magnesium deficiencies for all those that help people. Um, sometimes it's mercury detox that helps all these people. Sometimes it's melatonin that helps all these people. Sometimes it's just cleaning up the diet that helps all these people. And just, you know, somebody can have a, uh, uh, a toxic level of mercury. You know, you can have 10 people have a toxic level of mercury in them. Clinical symptoms in 10 different ways. One will have Alzheimer's. One will have heart disease. One will have uh, um, kidney disease. You know, it's just. One will have neurologic disease, you know, uh, peripheral nerve disease, you know, but they all have the same basic problem with it. But that's where we're all, you know, I always tell my patients, you know, you're your unique biochemical individual. You are who you are. And, again, sort of like you said with Dr. Bredesen, we just have to address. That's why I read all these books, you know. You know, these things are all pieces of the pie. Um, And um, the more pieces we address, the better the better health, the better people will do, the better their disease does, the, the better their aging process will be. Yeah, it's so important. Uh, so the average person, out, before he gets to his doctor, what can he do on his own? I mean, you mentioned diet. And well, so look, the, the, best, the best thing people can do on their own, without question, is do the basics. And, you know, the, base, the basics are, you know, what I've, 30 years of, of work finding that this helps the most people and that they don't get better unless they at least do the foundational basics. And for me, the foundational basics are number one, diet. And one, okay, number one is drink water. So the body is 70% water. The brain's 80% water. Most people don't drink enough water. Um, and most people drink caffeine and other caffeinated beverages like coffee or soda. 
and pull water out of them, or they drink too much alcohol, which pulls water out of them, or they're prescribed diuretic medications that's pulling water out of them. And they just live in this chronic dehydrated state, which is very stressful for the body. And, um, you know, one of the compensatory mechanisms to stress in our, when our body is put under stress, the body tries to restore homeostasis. It, it, it realizes something's wrong in the environment out there, and it it wants to survive. So in, in most of us, when we're stressed, we gain weight. And, um, you know, it's, it's, body puts on weight to survive the bad times it thinks it's in. Well, it's impossible to lose weight if you're dehydrated, um, which I would estimate, you know, over 95% of new patients coming into me are dehydrated. Um, and um, so the first thing I address with patients is, you know, drinking enough water. And I, you know, a simple rule, if you have normal kidney function and normal heart function is take your weight in, in pounds, divide by two and you know, the resulting number is the amount of ounces of water to minimum amount of ounces of water to drink per day is a general rule. Um, but I all the time, you know, I see people have dehydrated markers, you know, in their kidney function. Um, and so, you know, that's the first step. The, the major constituent in the body is water. And the next thing is diet. Um, you know, we're a mess in our country. Our food supply is, is a disaster. You know, this over-farming and over-pesticide use and over-insecticide use and our, you know, we've depleted the soil of its, its, its minerals and our food is depleted of minerals. And, um, you know, we, we have this abundance of food in our grocery stores, yet we're, we're a malnourished country. Um, and um, this malnourishment is playing out in, you know, 40% of us being obese and 70, you know, 60, 70% of us being overweight. Um, you know, when you you go to other countries, you know, and you go to the airports or you just go to other countries, you can see, you know, it's not hard to see you're out of the U.S. because people aren't just fat in many other places. And it's, you know, we've, we've, we've got a mess going on our hands because we're eating poor quality food, which is stressing our body even more. And our body's, you know, easily converting these, these high-carb, high-sugar foods to triglycerides and fat storage. And, you know, we are... 40% obese and 60 to 70% overweight. And, um, you know, when I was 30 years ago, when I was starting off, I never saw kids with type 2 diabetes ever. Um, and my kids are in residency right now. That's all they see, they say. That's all they see are, are you know, 8 to 10-year-old kids, you know, starting with diabetic signs and the teenagers all diabetic uh, with miserable blood sugars and, you know, they're all not all, but a lot of them are obese, and some of them aren't even obese. They're just eating so badly that their body can't handle all the sugar and refined carbohydrate that comes in. So the next basic step is clean up the diet. And, the, you know, as, as a general rule, the easiest advice I can get people with their diet is cut out all forms of added sugar and all refined carb all grains, all refined carbohydrates in the form of all grains. And... For those that have elevated blood sugars and are overweight, that's a quick way to try and get the metabolic rate of the body up. Of course, there's much more to do than just that, but that's a good start. I'd also like to add to eat organic. Uh, if you do eat meat, make sure it's grass-fed. I mean, even eating a lot of protein in meat can give you uh, raise your insulin level. Like, it'll be like a sugar whammy. So the way to counteract that is to eat fat with the meat. So your sugar should be more stable. Yeah. But if you're going to eat the fat, well, eat good meat. 
Yeah, so you eat the fat, that's where all the toxins are stored, so you don't want regular meat, you want grass-fed, because otherwise you get hormones, antibiotics, insecticides, even glyphosate, etc. So also you got to be careful, the oils don't eat processed oils, the vegetable oils, corn oils, uh, canola oil, very heavily processed. Some of these oils, they're heated, they're bleached, they're all, all sorts of horrible things, then these oils get into our cell walls and they don't function. So it's important to eat healthy oils, healthy meat, organic food, and fish should be uh, wild rather than farm fed because they can be fed anything under the sun. So, and yes, minimize the sugar intake. Okay. Uh, Next. Absolutely. You're right. I've got a book on diet, uh, you know, guide to healthy eating. And, um, you know, you and I are on the same page with all this stuff. And, you know, a good holistic doctor can help guide the listener on, you know, what to eat next. I can tell you a conventional doctor has trouble with this because they just don't know. We're not taught this in med school. We're, we're basically taught in med school um, low-fat diet. Um, and, um, you know, we're taught, we're, we're giving lip service to there's too much sugar in diet, but, you know, not much more than that. And we don't really know how to counsel people on diet just because we don't know how to do it. And then, you know, what we learn is from uh, resident dietitians that come in and lecture to us and give the ADA, American Diabetic Association, diets, which are terrible, um, you know, full of carbohydrates and, um, um, you know, don't really help people much. And, um, you know, a good holistic doctor should be able to guide them on, you know, what to do with their diet and get them in a better place. So those are first two steps for basics. And Yeah, when you know, I was in medical school, we never mentioned sugar. We never mentioned diet. I think we had one or two hours of nutrition, mentioning scurvy, et cetera, and I slept through it. So, Susan, we had three hours of nutrition. I remember it. And you know what? It was interesting. I was a conventional medical student. I didn't believe in anything alternative. Never took a vitamin in my life before that. For some reason, I went to that nutrition class because I didn't go go to too many classes in med school. I studied. Med school... It was not easy for me. I worked really hard at it, but I, I was one who learned from reading, so I would read. And I didn't go to too many classes. I, I was studying all day. So I went to that nutrition course, and here, that was in that was um, uh, the end of second year of med school, and when I switched over to a holistic doctor, I went and pulled that folder out and looked at it, you know, 10 years later. And what I realized was out of that three hours, you know, I, I estimated about two hours, 58 minutes and 32 seconds were taught incorrectly um, of that three hours. And um, the, um, it wasn't taught very well, and it was really pretty messy. And, and really what, what the, the takeaway from that three-hour lecture was it basically made us memorize um, vitamin deficiencies related to specific vitamins, um, uh, such as uh, B12 causing um, pernicious anemia. Um, vitamin C causing scurvy. There was it was really it was really it was uh, it was either zero or it was normal. So either you had scurvy from almost zero vitamin C, or you didn't have scurvy, so therefore you don't have vitamin C deficiency. But that goes back to your basic thing about optimal levels. And you know, just because you don't have scurvy, you can have scurvy-like symptoms, even though you know you don't have scurvy, and you know you just don't have optimal levels of vitamin C. But you know, that, that's how it was taught in med school, and that's still how it's taught today. Because I you have exactly. two children who. You know, I followed through their med school. Exactly. So the next step after you have a healthy diet, what else? 
So drink water, have a healthy diet. The basics number three is exercise. Exercise helps everything, everything under the sun. It helps any disease process. Um, the only thing that exercise can get you in trouble with is if you overexercise or you hurt yourself. But exercise helps diabetes. It helps hypertension. It helps thyroid problems. It helps mood. It helps depression. In fact, exercise, when it's compared to any antidepressant medication, uh, is e- either equal or it wins out. Um, and um, um, so exercise doesn't have to mean going to a gym, doesn't have to mean lifting weights, doesn't have to mean getting a trainer. It can mean um, walking and just movement. You know, we don't move like we used to. We're, we're all, you know, we drive, we sit on our couches. We don't we have to get up to change the channel anymore. We just change it with a remote control. Um, and, um, you know, we all have hundreds of channels of TV to watch and computers and the internet. And, uh, um, so, you know, movement. And I tell people you have to move and we have to get your metabolism up. You got to move. And so I tell people 30 minutes a day, whatever they want. I don't, you know, I play tennis. Uh, uh walking is fine. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to jog and, Actually, I convinced a lot of my patients not to run. You know, that's, I think, past the age of about 25 years old, it's probably better not to do too much running because it's pounding on the body for a lot of people. But um, so exercise would be the next step to the basics. And then I would follow that with getting into some specific things that I help, that helps the vast majority of people. And the next one is iodine. Um, you know, I found that, um, you know, from testing thousands of patients with me and my partners, you know, we're over 8,000 people now that, you know, the vast majority, you know, over 97% of people are deficient in iodine. Really, the only ones that aren't deficient have read my book, Iodine, Why You Need It, Why You Can't Live Without It, and they're taking iodine. Um, and it's, it's, it's nearly impossible to get enough iodine in from the diet these days. Our food supply across the United States, the iodine, the iodine content has declined over 50% over the last 40 years from the NHANE studies. And, um, you know, this iodine deficiency, I believe, is in large part driving the epidemic we're seeing from all the glandular problems. You know, glandular, the glands consist of the thyroid, ovaries, uterus, breast, prostate, and pancreas. And, you know, that's, we've all, we've all been affected with this. We have one in seven women with breast cancer. We have one in three men with prostate cancer. We have pancreatic cancer increasing at epidemic rates. Um, we have, uh, you know, ovarian and uterine cancer growing at epidemic rates. The fastest growing cancer is thyroid cancer. And I say that the common link behind all these is iodine deficiency. So I think getting your iodine levels assessed, you know, correcting iodine deficiency since iodine affects every single cell in the body, um, is, you know, one of the basic things to do. And then the last step for the basics is salt. Um, and I wrote a book, Salt Your Way to Health, because I, I, I see it on patients' blood work. So the vast majority of them are salt deficient. They're not getting in enough salt. And they don't know the difference between good salt and bad salt. And next to water, salt is the next major thing in the body. We have over 100 grams of sodium and chloride. We should have 100 grams, over 100 grams of sodium and chloride in dry weight in the human body, at any, in an adult human body at any one time. We have no stores of these things. We don't have stores of water either. We don't have camel. We don't have humps like camels do. We don't have humps of salt or humps of chloride or humps of iodine. We we utilize this stuff on a daily basis. We have to take in adequate amounts of these essential things 
on a daily basis or we become deficient. And without enough sodium and chloride, you don't make ATP, the energy molecule, you don't make hormones, you don't you don't do thousands of different reactions in the body. I mean, you look at you look at almost you look at so many um, enzymatic steps in the body. Sodium is a huge component to it. And you know, granted, if you have kidney or heart disease, that can change the equation a little bit because they might not be able to handle you know decent amounts of water and de- decent amounts of salt. But what will happen is if you sodium, if you leave yourself dehydrated and you leave yourself salt deficient, you, you end up developing hypertension and kidney failure and heart failure. So if you think about it, Susan, we learned a lot in med school that, you know, when the uh, sodium is such an important molecule that there's so many compensatory hormones set up to control sodium levels. There's aldosterone, there's renin, there's angiotensin. All this stuff is designed to increase sodium absorption from the gut and from the urine if there's not enough salt. And on the other hand, if there's too much, it's it, adjust the hormones so we can release it. But what, what I'm finding with patients is they're not getting in enough, um, enough good salt. And, you know, good salt is unrefined salt with its full complement of minerals in it. It hasn't been bleached or, or toxic chemicals added to it like ferrous cyanide. Um, uh, refined salt is the thin white stuff that's in every restaurant across the U.S. and it's in most homes. Um, Morton's table salt is an example of a refined salt. There's no minerals in it. There's some toxic additives to it, and it's just sodium and chloride. You know, it's 98%, and then small amounts of you know these other things in it that shouldn't be in salt in the first place. So I consider getting adequate amounts of salt helping you hold water in your body better, as well as supplying the basic raw materials your body needs to do things. And those are the what five if basic your aldosterone-renin level is low. Because uh, some, I mean, Dr. Houston, I think, proposed that there's, you know, two kinds of hypertension, and it depends on the aldosterone renin level. And if that's low, uh, uh, changing the amount of salt can affect your blood pressure. Well, there are very few people who are salt-sensitive individuals where they take salt in, whether you do unrefined or refined, and their blood pressure goes up. I mean, I see a patient like this every five to ten years. That is very rare. I can tell you 99.99 plus percent of patients, that's not the case. And if you, you we are designed to need and, and, and uh, desire and acquire salt. And if you look through, if you look back in uh, human civilization, humans only formed societies and, and grew in areas where there was adequate salt. We need we need two basic things to survive. We need salt and we need water. Um, and if we don't have either of those, you're not going to survive where you're at. So humans would grow and, and thrive where there was adequate salt sources. Um, now it's different. You know, with our modern society, we can move salt around to areas that don't, you know, we're low in salt and, you know, you can buy it and you can carry it and you can supplement it in your home. It wasn't necessarily the case, you know, 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Um, so the mechanism that I'm finding for the vast majority of people is that renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system gets out of whack when they're low on salt. The body goes into a stress mode to try and absorb salt better from the kidneys and better from the gut. And as a consequence, blood pressure goes up. So what do we give them? We give them inhibitors of aldosterone, renin, and angiotensin. Those are the most common blood pressure medications used out there. And yeah, it lowers the blood pressure down because what happens when those hormones go up is the 
it causes the constriction of the blood vessels. Well, it blocks those hormones from doing that, but it's not treating the underlying cause of this, which is lack of salt. I've seen so many patients who I've been able to get them off their blood pressure pills by giving them salt um, and the right kind of salt in conjunction with this whole holistic therapy that we're talking about. It's not just using salt alone. Yeah, I like to also comment that giving magnesium can help lower the blood pressure. But what about giving iodine to patients with Hashimoto's disease, which is when somebody has antibodies to thyroid hormones? Well, you know, I got a whole chapter on that in my book, Iodine, Why You Need It, Why You Can't Live Without It. Hashimoto's disease forms from low iodine, and I make a pretty good case for that. And um, um, I, I know there's there's many out there that say that uh, iodine will flare or cause Hashimoto's disease, but you know it's an easy an easy counter argument to that is over the last forty or fifty years has Hashimoto's disease gone up or down, Susan? Up. It's gone up dramatically. You know, I didn't see much Hashimoto's disease. Graves' disease when I, 30 years ago when I was in my training. You see it all over the place now. And over the last 30, actually over the last 40-plus years, according to the Ann Haynes data, iodine levels have fallen over 50% across the U.S. And so that's a negative association between falling iodine levels and increasing Hashimoto's and Graves' disease diagnoses. Um, and that negative, diso- that negative association disproves that iodine is causing this Hashimoto's epidemic that we're seeing right now. Well, that could um, be association so, because with a diet we can be, uh, you know, if we've got d- dysbiosis and undigested proteins get into the body, we can be increasing autoimmune disease. So it could be an association rather than causative, but I really don't know. Well, there's no question. Look, there's, there's, I am, I'm pointing to one thing here, which is iodine, and I still say there's a big pie here that needs to be cut. Is iodine... An eighth of the pie, is it a half of the pie, is it three quarters of the pie? It's a large piece of the pie, but it's not the whole pie. The whole pie is drinking water, it's salt, it's diet, it's exercise, you know, it's the whole thing. But iodine, iodine is, a, is a wonderful treatment as part of a holistic regimen for Hashimoto's and Graves' disease. I see it all the time in our practice. We treat people with Graves' disease successfully without radioactive iodine, with using diets and nutrition and iodine as part of that treatment, and our patients do just fine. You also mentioned in your approach uh, detoxing and vitamin A, C, and D, at least when people are worried about viruses. I would also like to add stress because if you can modify your reaction to stress because stress will make your cortisone levels go up, you'll get inflammation, oxidative stress, and high blood pressure and every bad outcome imaginable. But can you talk a little bit? We've got four minutes left. Uh, a little bit of, I mean, you mentioned like, it sounds like that you you have similar approaches to most people. And you're mentioning in particular, if we're concerned about viruses such as the flu, et cetera, that detox is important. And I imagine this is important in all conditions. You mentioned sauna, sweat, exercise, bowel mm-hmm. cleansing, heavy metal removing. You also mentioned, at least particularly with viruses, that I, I, vitamins A, C, and D are important. Would you like to comment on that or any other comments in the last four minutes? Well, you're bringing up my book, A Holistic Approach to Viruses, and, um, and um, that's my latest book, and I wrote that book from, you know, our success in treating COVID, as well as other viruses. We're using the same approach to treat, to treat COVID as a viral illness that we've treated viral illnesses for 25 years, and that's using oral dosing of vitamin A, C, D, and iodine um, 
IVs of, of hydrogen peroxide and, and ozone shots, and then nebulized hydrogen peroxide. And what we found is that this combination has been very successful. Our patients over the years don't get hospitalized and don't die of the fluid anywhere near the rates that are reported every year. In fact, none of us can recall a patient dying from the flu or during flu, during flu-like season, even though, you know, every year from 20 to 100,000 Americans die every year from the flu. Because I've been practicing 30 years, and my partners have been 30 years. That's a lot of patients dying from the flu during our time, and we don't have anyone. None of us can recall a patient being hospitalized solely from the flu because we treat them with a nutritional approach. So, I mean, look, it's, the nutritional approach works, but it's, it's better before you get the flu, before you get COVID, before you, you know, get this next variant or whatever the heck is going to come our way, that you're already hydrated, you're already eating good, you're already exercising, you're already in good shape going into it. And, um, you know, it makes sense that if you support the immune system, give the immune system its raw materials it needs to fight infections and to, you know, to overcome whatever's ailing it. You know, we were, again, we were designed by our maker to do pretty well with viral illnesses. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And um, the, what's, what's happened with COVID it should be a wake-up call for all of us, that our diet is terrible, that our immune system is not in good shape, and that as a country, we're a sick country. And that's why we've been hit worse than everybody. Well, all the money we spent, all the testing we spent, all the monoclonal antibodies, all the, you know, the, the million-dollar equipment in the emergency rooms and, you know, all the million-dollar training for all these doctors out there, Look what the hell happened to us. You know, it's, it's really a disaster what's happened. And, you know, history's not going to look kindly upon us for what, what's happened, and, um, and nor should. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a wake-up call for all of us. Let's, let's get into a healthier lifestyle, a healthier mindset, and, you know, let's work with holistic healthcare practitioners who can be your cheerleader and be your partner and, and look at your biochemistry and try and, give you ways to optimize your biochemistry and physiology so that when you're confronted with stress, when you're confronted with viruses and confronted with bacteria, you'll get over it and you'll be able like to recover also, from it. Like also, we're very badly running out of time. Also like to give a plug for ozone. Dr. Robert Rowan, who's been interviewed on this show, actually went to Sierra Leone, was successfully treating Sierra Leone patients uh, every time he treated them and they survived. So anyway, we've got about 30 seconds left. Any final words or any you want to give people you know, don't, uh, ways to get in touch yeah, with you or recommend one of your eight books, whatever? Sure. Don't settle for suboptimal care and don't settle for not feeling good. Don't settle for not enough energy. I've written 16 books on my website, drbrownstein.com, drbrownstein, and um, B-R-O-W-N-S-T-E-I-N. And, um, you know, do the basics. You can, you can improve your health. You can get yourself in better shape. And then when you get hit with things like COVID or COVID-2 or 3 or 4 or 5, you know, hopefully your immune system can allow you to get over it just like it should. Oh, that makes so much sense. Uh, uh, immune systems, uh, you know, that's what they're there for, and we want to support them. So anyway, you've heard uh, various steps to be healthy, and being healthy and building up our immunity is a great way to fight off whatever viruses, bacteria, or whatever comes our way. So share this information with your friends or your colleagues. Be sure to check with your doctors. And above all, be well. Thank you for listening. 
Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.